Before we get into everything today, I thought I'd take a minute to talk to you a little bit about the 90-minute conversation you're about to strap in for. So Jorge Suquet came into my life at a time when I was young and relatively unencumbered by <laughs> by many notions of what I've come to know myself to be. And uh, as this is a show about better understanding ourselves, I thought, who better to talk to than one of my oldest and closest friends? For lack of better words, Jorge Suquet saved my life. He opened me up to a world that I would not have known had it not been for him. Had I not been open to the notion that I could be friends with someone like Jorge Suquet, I don't know who I would be today. He is an actor based in Madrid, Spain. We trained together at the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York City. It was there that we became friends and have remained close for the past 16 years. Jorge and I stretched each other a lot during that time. We challenged each other to become better artists, to be better actors, to think more deeply and inject those thoughts into our work. And by doing so, we became better men, better people. In our conversation today, you'll learn a little bit about the path Jorge has taken since our lives took us away from New York City, and I encourage you to seek out his body of work. He references many Spanish properties like Freedom and Angel Odomanio, and he displays his abilities as an English actor on the Stars program Black Sales, as well as in Isabel Couchette's The Bookshop, co-starring Emily Mortimer, Patricia Clarkson, and Bill Nye. It's a great conversation, one where we vacillate from the things that inspired us back then to the things that are inspiring us today, and I hope that you take from it as much as I did. Thanks very much. Enjoy the show. I'd like to encourage you to start at the beginning. Which beginning? <laughs> Which I, one of I, them are? And I want to I want to kind of get into that too that like you and I have had many relationships. Our relationship has changed over time and how that's evolved in the interconnection that you and I have but then mm-hmm. how, how it relates to what's going on in the world around us. Mm-hmm. I watched all of your existing clips on YouTube. Oh I went God. back and I I watched Why don't we just and, like go for it? Yeah, and then I say, "Jorge, Welcome to the No First Podcast. Okay, and that, that's when I'm... I'm going to say okay. it again, and you're going to... This is it. This is it. Okay? Jorge, welcome to the No First Podcast. Hi. Hi. How are you <laughs> Thank doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. <laughs> How are you doing over there? Hello, He's, laugh- he's laughing because we had a lot of preamble before. We, uh, that's it. it. <laughs> that's right. It. <laughs> How are things over there? Things are, you know, they're, they're, we're doing okay. It's good. Considering. <laughs> yeah. It's good to talk to you today. I'm grateful that you took time. Thank you. I'm happy. Where are you? I'm in Asturias, which is up in the north of Spain in the Can- Cantabric Sea. I'm taking a few days off after working most, for most of the summer in the Balearic Islands and in Madrid. And what were you working on? A TV series for the national television. Uh, it's a series we actually had started shooting before our, I think, almost three-month confinement. And we got back to it right after, after it 
sort of past. Mm-hmm. So What's yeah, the story? I'm doing that for for the summer, and then I just run away from the city a bit because Madrid <laughs> is in a little bit of a situation, as you might know right now. So um, yeah, I'm, yeah, they're back in lockdown. Is that right? No, no, no. Actually, not lockdown, but the situation is kind of like uh, bad. Um, it's not lockdown, but they are like taking measures and you know, like cutting off nightlife and cutting off a lot of uh, you know contact as much as they can but also I, I don't think they're going to be able well you never know unless it, it gets really really bad but I don't think they can be able to like do a whole complete lockdown because that would just mean that the country will go to I don't know a really bad situation even worse than it is already anyway but going back to what sorry yeah <laughs> and, and you were shooting in the Balearic Islands in Mallorca. correct in Mallorca Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah, you're shooting in Mallorca. You were shooting a. Is it a series or is it a mini series? Is it? No, a- no, it's a series. It's a full, a full season. It's actually the second season of a show that already that was already very successful in its first season. It's called The Hunt, La Caza in Spanish. But um, each each season, uh, they, it's it's just like the typical um, investigation series on murders and on whatnot. So um, the first season was on the mountains of the Pyrenees in the little town of Pyrenees. This season is in the mountains in Mallorca and they're just trying to solve a mystery of a uh, child abuse uh, network and all that with like very high, uh, how do you say it? Um, people in high, like people in high places, and, yeah, in high places, powerful involved people, and yeah. powerful people involved, and so it's kind of like intense. <laughs> is it is it set in present day? It's set in present day, indeed. Yeah, finally, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of like very much into um, period movies and or series. <laughs> yeah. So when I I. I was in Spain with my wife over the holidays and Jorge had um, sideburns oh, yeah. <laughs> and you were learning to ride horseback and... I did an intense uh, practice yeah, on horseback. It's for a show called Freedom, Libertad in Spanish, <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> and that's actually kind of like, that's a very, very nice series that I hope can be seen sooner than rather than later, uh, we, we, all, we already finished it. And um, it's set on the beginning of the 19th, uh, in the 19th centuries. Um, and it's all about, you know, this, this time before, it's like pre-industrialized Spain, right. uh, when things were a little rough on the roads around here. It's like a little, <laughs> it's like Spanish Western. And I play a um, British romantic writer who comes and wants to meet this, woman that's been in prison for 17 years and um, she's just freed and he comes to meet her and write a novel about her. And he just Okay, so, so this podcast is obviously in, in English. Yes. You are a Spanish-born English speaker. I was born and raised in Madrid, yeah. For much of your career, you've been playing Spaniards who speak English or English people who happen to Yeah, they, they cast me or like, also like submit me for like ask for you know uh, for my uh, services for a lot of British characters yeah 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 also yeah 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 bilingual bilingual. I mean I wish I could do even more bilingual projects and I hope they will come soon but yeah 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 I actually am being 
lucky enough to be working here in Spain, but also do stuff outside of Spain and also do stuff in Spain that um, has uh, the English language in between. So <laughs> it's kind what, of interesting. What do, you, do you recall your first encountering with the English language? Because you I speak English better than I think I speak English. Oh, and it was my major no. in college. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Thank you. You've always said that. But, uh, um, no, I, I don't know. Um, I think, well, first it's because, I mean, my first memory is probably in school. Although, now that I think of it, my mom's older sister lived in Washington, D.C., uh, when I was uh, little. But particularly in a state that I love how you, how you pronounce it. Oh, in Virginia. <laughs> That's right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, 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 my cousin was born in Virginia, in Virginia, <laughs> actually. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, I don't remember where. In Arlington. No, no, no. That's where the cemetery is. No. Very That's close to D.C., but northern, northern yeah, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Virginia. <laughs> so, yeah, I think maybe that was like one of my first contacts with... Um, the U.S. in this case, um, and with the English language. And, but, um, and then in school, I mean, we take English since we were little, but uh, for some reason, I always felt really drawn to that language and really liked it and enjoyed it. And um, uh, also, well, you know, since I was little, my parents would send me to a summer camp in, in the summer. Uh, Where was the summer camp? In, that was here, actually, in Asturias for the... That's when I was like eight. But then when I turned like 11, uh, this uh, was also in Ireland, somewhere close to Cork. And uh, I went there for like three years. Then I, I did my, my junior year of high school. I went to Maine, actually. And I spent the whole year, school year in Maine with an incredible, incredibly nice host family. And uh, that was actually a life-changing experience. That's actually where I discovered I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> the thing is that before, before that, I would always do theater in school and in summer camps, and they would always give me the leads <laughs> or like, you know, important roles, but I would never, ever, ever think of it as a profession for me. Um, I always wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to do radio, actually. <laughs> but... Um, I You're doing it, baby. I, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Um, um, I don't really know what I thought when I when I when I went to the movies and so all those people acting. You know, I I, I never thought. I mean, there was no one in my family that actually uh, made a living of any kind of arts. Um, but anyway, I went to so I, I went to Maine and. That the school I went to, it was called Haldale. It was the, the, the high school of two little towns, Hallowell and Farmingdale, right by Augusta, the capital. And um, so, so the um, drama club was pretty, pretty intense there, pretty, pretty pro. Um, and um, I don't know, I just you know signed in and started to do a lot of stuff there and then also i became very good friends with uh, with my friend ruth webb payne who um whose mother diane webb um, had an incredible incredible uh, improv uh, group and that year um 
like I don't know if it happened around the, all, all your country, probably it did, but in Maine, they were very much into the civil rights teams in schools trying to, you know, like uh, make conscience on, on, on civil rights and stuff. And um, we mainly, with this uh, interactive theater group, what we would do, uh, we would just get together to improv, but we would go around high schools and middle schools around the whole state of Maine, uh, just improving, doing improvisational work with uh, the students. And, you know, one of us would be the harasser, the other one would be the harassed. And, um, <laughs> uh, and then the audience, like the students would ask us questions uh, and we would just answer from our characters. We would analyze um, the, the improvs after, after, um, the actual performance, but we would still be in character. And the students, the audience would ask us, why did you do this? What did you do that and that? And we would just answer from our character. So it was a constant improv and I, I really got into it. And then I also, I mean, I remember uh, they brought us to see Rent that year because it had been a big hit on Broadway and we went down to Boston to to see it on the theater. Uh, that also kind of like blew my mind quite a bit. Um, I got very much into it. I knew all the lyrics. I would just perform it with my friends. And, uh, you know, I, I was also discovering my own sexuality and it was all this HIV thing. And it was just like a lot of st new info for me that just changed me as a person and I actually get emotional when I, when I talk about this because it actually just made me a bit of what I am today. It started there. Was you there know? someone in Maine? <clears throat> I know the, the impact that Ruth has had on your life, but was there someone, was it Ruth or was it someone else in It Maine? was her mother. It was Diane who told was Diane? me. She, yeah, she said, have you ever thought about um, doing this for a living? <laughs> and... Um, I was, I was like, what? I can actually make money <laughs> doing this? I mean, it was something so out of my realm of, um, I don't know, it was just like something I had never thought about. Uh, so I started looking into, I actually started looking into BU, Boston University. I also looked at a few uh, theater groups around there. Um, but then I had to come back to Spain and that's when I, you know, sat down with my family and said, um, I want to be an actor. The word is permission. And there's something about that, the feeling of not being permitted to pursue your dream, right? I, I, it, 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 maybe there is a bit of that about permission, but like the things that I wasn't even giving myself permission to dream about it because I didn't even think it would be... I. I wasn't raised into the arts. So it wasn't, it's not that, I mean, not really. Not Your that mom? Much. Your mom was an editor, well, wasn't she? Well, no, my mom worked for the director of a big newspaper group. Yeah. But that's more of a journalism kind of thing. That's why I wanted to go that way. That's like the closer to something creative that I, that I sort of knew. Um, I probably hadn't even really thought about it that much, but um, 
because as I said, I, I was actually doing theater all the time in school. I was in school play all the time in, in, in summer camp. Um, and I, I mean, it was always there. I, I never had considered it as a, as a profession for myself. Um, maybe it was permission. Maybe I think it was just like, I didn't really know about it. It's just like, it just like popped there. You know, and uh, suddenly I, it was also, you know, what happened? And that's actually something that I always, um, I've always thought about. It's just that I, um, I felt that I belonged somewhere for the first time in my life. Yeah, I belonged to the theater, to acting or to films. I mean, I suddenly, films were not even, in my head at the moment. It was just co communicating, feeling uh, something and going through something that was not really me, but I was like a vessel to communicate. Yeah. That part you have always been very closely attuned to. The notion that you're a vessel. The notion that there are words that have to exist, there are actions that have to exist, that you are simply the synthesizer of those words and actions into something that's representative of a performance of a meaningful moment. How early in, in your theatrical experiences was it clear to you that you were particularly adept at taking words from a piece of paper <laughs> and movement Mm. and putting them together in a way that made sense or was somehow viewed as realistic? Like consciously, uh, very late, much later <laughs> than, 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 than when that started in Maine. <laughs> because you know what happened? I mean, I went back to Spain and then my parents said, that's great, but maybe you should go to college to do something serious. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. And I was like, well, okay, whatever. So I just didn't, went to do media. and like. But there's, uh, something, there's something to that conscious comment because there is this thing called beginner's luck. There is this thing called like, right. ro you know, rookie intuition there's something about the subconscious that plays into a uh, performance or that plays into getting up in front of a group of people a rawness that i think a lot of like 40 and 50 year veterans of the stage and screen are trying to tap back into that concept. right that's totally right because every time i've lost uh my will my joy or or even when i've just try, wanted to wanted to throw the towel away and just say okay let's do something else i always remind myself what i, I want to go back and sort of remember what i lived back then with the, those improvs because that there's the key to why i'm doing this your parents encouraged you to study something more serious you focused on journalism correct well, yeah, what's called here audiovisual communication, which would be like media studies, which uh, it's like half journalism, uh, half is like more related to film and television. You know, you, but you, you like take, it's like a very general kind of career. You take uh, radio, you could take scripts, you could take communication, you take a lot of stuff. Uh, and I would just combine college with acting school, actually. So I would just either not sleep or 
skip a lot of college to to go to acting classes. One of the big schools here, I did a year there, uh, actually where Penelope Cruz did all her training, I think. Uh, but I was... I was not ready back then. I was very confused. Those were those, those were kind of like confusing years. The, the, I didn't really have a very complicated teenage years. I did have a bit of a complicated early 20s, maybe. So uh, the, that first year of acting school was a little blurry. Uh, or if I, I mean, if, if that's understandable. It was just kind of oh, like... Oh, totally. When yeah. I was um, uh, just like not focused whatsoever so I didn't really understand that part of the work that when which you sort of like especially in the first year of acting school in which you really need to like open up and see what's inside you know um uh, I was a little bit of a mess uh, then I I didn't really like that school that much so I tried another one and then I well, I don't know just had to finish um college so I did and after college I worked on the radio actually for a few months on national radio and but then with my dance and movement teacher um, he's uh, from philadelphia actually but he's been living in madrid for a long time and training a lot of actors i once mentioned to him uh, the possibility of going back to the states because that's where i had actually discovered my vocation and uh he was like oh really where i was like well maybe new york and he was like well if you want it why don't you just try it that was not a possibility in my head when suddenly somebody said, you should, I think that's the place for you. So um, since I had already started working with like an agency and doing a lot of advertising and some little extra work and TV series, little characters and all that, I had saved plenty of money to go to New York and try out. I think I went to audition in four different acting schools and uh, I think I got accepted in three. One of them was the Neighborhood Playhouse, which um, I totally fell in love with. This man that I was telling you about, his name is Arnold Taravarelli, and he helped me out with preparing the audition and all my monologues and the song and all that. And uh, there I went uh, alone, not knowing anyone, and just uh, you know to try out. And then, yeah, I moved to New York, and um, and that's where I met you, actually. <laughs> that's right. And, yeah, that's the We're second time my life actually made a huge turn and a huge impact on me. I mean, that's definitely what made me what I am. In that's the that's the the B side of of Maine. <laughs> the B I side guess. of Maine is is the neighborhood playhouse. <laughs> I'd Probably, like to I'd like yeah. to think that this was a situation where the B side actually outsold the A side, and some radio DJ that's... deep in San Sebastian discovers <laughs> this B side, and it becomes a worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> Well, uh, that's a nicer way to put it, and probably more <laughs> precise. And uh, yeah, I like I like that. I like that. Or hey, I'm always <laughs> asking to be your ace. That's the, uh, uh, okay. So you come to school. Yeah. What do you remember about that first day? I I, I was so nervous. I'm uh, <laughs> so excited, and um, well, first of all, I had spent probably a week before that in New York, completely alone. Right. Lucky enough, my friend had uh, 
lent me her studio in Chinatown. But I had spent a whole week running around Manhattan like a crazy person because I just wanted to fit in and people not to think that I was a tourist. So all I could do was just like run around, you know, not really looking where I was going, just going very fast <laughs> so I but I was so excited I was just I, I would just go out at night by myself I don't know it was just like very 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 um yeah exciting is the word and then I got to acting school finally I mean the dream that I had been like sort of like holding for four years of college and um it was just I don't know I just got into those doors and the rest of the world just didn't really exist. It was just very, it, it, was, it was tough too, because I didn't really speak that, I mean, I, I did speak good English, but not as good as I do now, right? Or I did, I don't know. <laughs> I just felt like a, a, an alien <laughs> uh, for some reason, but, um, so, but I don't know, but you know, it, that, that didn't, didn't really last long because I just felt that I fit in right away. I guess I of know. everyone of everyone that we saw in that first day, there were a few aliens. We, we weren't we all, <laughs> but but weren't we all in our own right? That's right. <laughs> I remember meeting you in the little lobby where the piano was and all the the, the, the photos of the like alumni. Were. There's a piano. There's photos of like old performances, all black and white. There's like pleather seating, black and red. And red, red, red leather. Red leather. Red leather. And there's- Yeah, the, now that, 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 didn't we work on, on speech class, something like that? It was like red leather, red yellow. Leather, red yellow leather, yellow leather. Yellow red, leather. Yellow, <laughs> red leather, yellow leather. Yeah. Hello, Colleen Wallnow. <laughs> Hello, Colleen Smith Wallnow. Uh, Mid-Atlantic pronunciation <laughs> you don't want to be too new york you don't want to be too london right <laughs> oh my god <laughs> the top of the tongue the top of the teeth top of the tongue top of the teeth god that was like out of a 40s movie hmm. i might oh, as well have had a book on my head so so we met there yeah we were in that right. space yeah I vividly waiting, remember. Right? We were, I guess so. Just I don't waiting to see where we were supposed to go. Well, and um, I remember, I vividly remember, I was wearing all brand new clothes. And. Well, of course, you had probably prepared for that day, <laughs> like well, mentally. And like, you totally, I mean, I, I can totally, I always could picture you the night before with all your clothes ready in a hanger, <laughs> all very well organized and very well thought. Uh, I, I, uh, Maxie, I, I think, that's so you, yeah. <laughs> I, I had on a, uh, a, it was a like, seafoam green oxford cloth button down and a brand new pair of like british khakis wow. with a with a pair of graphic memory though 
always surprises me because you remember <laughs> certain things that I, I mean. Uh, well, I, I, okay. So within a week, those khakis had become shorts because they got destroyed in an early act. In the laundromat, <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Oh. No, somebody ripped them off me. Oh, okay. Yeah, well. Early in school, they like, they like tried to grab my leg or something. And, okay, well, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I actually do remember thinking, which was actually very positive. This is great. It was like, there's such a varied mixture of people, you know? And um, that was because here in Spain, back in that time, not so much today, thankfully, but back in that time, it, there was this certain type of a people that were getting to acting school. And uh, I don't know why that was, but I guess it was more politized. Do you say politized? Politicized. Politicized, that's it. Or I don't know what it was, but um, I don't know. I, I really liked the fact that I could see many different kind of, kinds of aliens. <laughs> we, had, um, we had 18 year old girls. We had yeah. like a 35 or 40 year old banker. Mm -hmm. We had people from South America, Canada. We had Asians, Africans, Hispanic, Latino. Yeah, we had uh, we had French mm -hmm. men and women. We had people from uh, from the Netherlands, from Norway, from yeah. Amsterdam, from Copenhagen. And that's the other thing. I mean, and that's. I'm, Going back to Maine again, that's also something that I, uh, but especially in New York, um, you know, I had, I, I, I was, today is different, but back then I had been raised in an all white, uh, kind of like cis, mm, you know, general kind of like mm, environment, you know, like it was, it was just, very much on one note <laughs> and uh, this just opened me up to what I had always dreamt the world was and should be thankfully <laughs> uh, so yeah that was uh that was the, that, that was see probably that was the first impression and that was like the most positive thing about it all it was just like oh look at this zoo how much fun are we gonna have <laughs> you know i mean it's just like how how great is this to just study characters with such characters in here um and then the teachers and then the place that, that that building had something. It was very magical. And, you know, I had only heard about Meissner probably a year before that. Probably when I, you know, told Arnold that I wanted to come to New York and he told me about Meissner. Uh, or I probably did some research. I don't remember, but it, 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 Meissner was not really known here in Spain back then. It was mostly all Strasbourg and all that. The book was on acting. Sanford Meisner on acting. Yeah, that orange book. And have you ever seen Sidney Pollack's documentary, The yes. Theater's Best Kept Secret? Yep. Maybe we did. Oh. Watching uh, the Sanford Meisner documentary and um, and I had never heard of Sanford Meisner. I didn't understand Meisner. And by the time I graduated from college, Meisner was all I wanted to do. 
and it had you, to do you, with- You were like very, very, yeah, very informed about it. I was I'm very passionate about it. Would you have liked to meet him? Would you have liked to have him as your teacher? Probably not, but I would have been, <laughs> <laughs> I would have been a better actor. I would have you think probably, so? I probably would have been, I, I would have been a lot tougher, I think, on myself and um, who knows? I don't know if, it, if that would have worked. Okay, so, so at the Playhouse, one of the first things you learn, listening. Mm -hmm. Listening is the key component that differentiates Sandy Meisner and Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg teaches an internalizing of emotion and allowing for the sense memory to come out and come through in the performance of the actor, which is why so many famous film actors come out of the actor's studio, because your focus is on what's happening in the face. And Meisner was focused on the space between two people. And that was the part that I was constantly missing and I think it has to do with an inherent narcissism, an inherent focus on the self and self-awareness and self-discovery and self-consciousness. You're being too hard on yourself. <laughs> to be quite honest, I think both actually talk about the same thing. After the years I've come to realize, they both talk about acting and listening and reacting to what um, the other character is giving you there's just different ways of approaching the same thing I, I, I have realized after the years that like when I finished in the playhouse I was very active in that reacting to what the other was um, you know doing and what was that provoking on me or in me but um, I was I, I would always miss something and I didn't really know what it was and only when I started doing workshops on more of a Strasbourg or Strasbourg oriented kind of work I somehow found a more complete toolbox in a way mm -hmm. um, because what happened that you know, the first also because I was younger and I didn't have as much experience, but a lot of my first works, I would not know how to fix a scene. I would not know how to repeat something that the director had liked because I would just be reactive to what was going on in the room. So I didn't really have the tools for that. In the end, if you're in your head, you're in your head, whether you are doing Meisner or Strasberg or, um, you know. <laughs> Dahagen or, or yeah. Blue Man Group, you can be in your head doing any of it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's not that simple, but in a way it is. It all comes down to relaxation and being as much in contact and relaxed as you can. That's like as a first step, then the rest comes, which is a lot and very complicated. <laughs> And I think that now 14 years removed from our training, I realize and activate on the notions that everyone's way in is different. Mm -hmm. And the way that you encounter the work 
it comes down to how do you delve deeper into you to be more present, whether it's a camera, a tennis ball, a person, or the utter void, the nothingness. And ultimately, it's a challenge. It's, that's the challenge of being truthful and being present and being... Yeah, and it, it's got to do with focus too, I think, Maxie, you know? <laughs> I think it, it has a lot to do with focus, uh, which sometimes I'm kind of like... For me, it's, these days, it's hard to focus a lot of times. And if you don't have that focus on stage or on set... Uh, and also relaxation and concentration. It's very hard to work. I think it's just, in the end, it's the basic. How do you improve your relaxation and your focus? Well, I've found meditation very, very helpful. Definitely. Um, exercise and um, rest, which is not always possible. <laughs> Because uh, a lot of times I have insomnia, but I'm um, resting as much as I can and um, being very confident with the text, with the word, with, I mean, like not having any doubt on that you've memorized it perfectly and doing the work <laughs> because a lot of things are going to happen on set or on stage that are not under your control. So whatever you have that you can control, you need to have it ready. So it doesn't get in the way of all the other stuff that could happen. <clears throat> because sometimes there's no time for you and it's your uh, close up and, and that's that and you gotta do it. Or a lot of things that can happen. So as long as you at least have that, and just trying to, you know, not be too distracted, but all the outside distractions that we have, which are a lot. Uh, so for the time that, you know, lasts that job in particular, trying to be, and trying to be also in, in touch with the character as much as possible. And that we get into how each person prepares a character, but uh, I don't know, for me, it's very helpful to make a playlists on Spotify for each one of the different characters that I do, or going to different expositions to see like maybe a painting or a photograph. You mentioned meditation, and I'm picturing Jorge Suquet, the Jorge Suquet that I know and love, not being able to sit still. I'm a mess. I'm very chaotic and working. I am too, actually. Like each different job, each job is totally different how I address it. But I try to meditate every morning for at least 15 minutes to just try to sit still <laughs> and breathe and get in touch with the moment. First, uh, I just do it with my eyes open, but then I close my eyes and it's all about... Um, the senses and touch and hearing and uh, smells. And then it's just like about controlling the breath. It's not m more than that. It's just being in touch with the moment, which is in the end what we have to do when we act. <laughs>
It's moment to moment. And what are you doing? What's your action? What's you doing? It's like a certain meditation, but also with your body. It's just like loosening and it's just like suddenly just saying whatever comes to mind. And for those of you, like, for those of you uh, listening at home, Jorge is on camera right now, <laughs> touching his shoulder and shifting it and then also sort of doing an octopus arms. And then through that, yeah. you adjust to something that feels a little bit deeper, a little more in touch with yeah. the physicality. Yeah. Is that and right? Trying to, yeah. And also, I think it has to do with at least the way I do it, because each, in the end, each one of us have, have our own little process it's it ultimately i think it is also to try to push away all the pollution of the day and just focus on what you have to do and that vessel not we just of the day about. of the self right it's, and of the self that's it it's, yes, yes yes it's it's the artifice it's the crap that we put on ourselves that these kind of little techniques help you you know get into that other person and then you know in the end also i have to say talking about techniques and all that and i remember our teacher whom i totally love and will eternally be thankful to richard penter uh, always said dude if you know it just forget about the technique and do it if your instinct tells you that you know what you're doing just do it like in real life i mean in a conversation what do i want from you what do you want from me why are we talking when i talk right now you smile that's a reaction to what i just said then you know that's it that's it's bam 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 pinch ouch that they used to say in school right mm -hmm. i just remembered other another one of pinter's um <laughs> of pinter's sentence it was just do what you can under the circumstances and don't don't beat yourself up you know I have all that written down. I guess you do too, right? You keep your notebook from then. Yeah. I, and I still go and, and check it every now and then for certain jobs. I don't know that I actually kept my notebook. I think I, more often than not, I found myself drafting on just anything I could find. And then I'll find it written in a book or mm -hmm. on the back of a record. Or, yeah. you know, and that's why you're still acting and I'm not. Um, oh, come on. No, that's not it. <laughs> the, no, I found a much deeper passion, something that I didn't even know that I had permission to, to pursue. I pursued it and it served me very well. I guess, I guess what, uh, you know, what I got out of our experience in school that I'd be curious to hear what you got out of it is the, it was a small dose of the real world. It was just that all this, well, I mean, everybody want, wanted to stand out of the great scene and, you know, have the master uh, sort of like tap you in the back and say, hey, you were great, you, you got there, you, you know. I mean, remember when we f did our first emotional preparation, everybody just wanted to cry the shit out of it. Well, in that, what did you learn? I learned, definitely learned how to listen, <laughs> not only with my ears. Listening is reading behavior, and that's something that, that was really helpful. But I learned how to be more humble. I learned how to, it was the first step for me to really learn what acting was. Uh, but also I learned 
to just live the moment as much as I could. Uh, I mean, I don't know, it was just like one of the best experiences of my life. It was probably the best decision I ever made to go to New York and go to that school. I also learned how to never be satisfied with first thing you get, to keep digging and into that you can always find more truth, find better. And that this work, this craft never ends. <laughs> you keep learning over and over and over. And uh, I learned that it wasn't enough. Yeah, that I needed to keep training and to keep, you know, getting better. And that I need to keep feeding my craft throughout the years. What's the food of your craft now? Well, I'm just more conscious on, like, I, so, suddenly I can think of something and I just write it down or I just see something and say, oh, let's just keep that for whatever. Or I keep, and I keep taking classes every now and then. I keep asking for help when I don't know how, or when I think someone can support my work because sometimes doing it by yourself is a lot of most of the times doing it by yourself you just get too much in your own doubt if you have an external vision it helps a lot like having a coach or at least having a friend with whom you can share your visions with or music art movies theater going to the theater and you know seeing other actors other actresses and therapy helps a lot too. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, from, as I said, exercising and doing things that just, so because I do tend to sort of like try to go over myself in life, just enjoying the moment. And so I need to sort of like remind myself to focus and, you know, keep uh, being in touch with what really is going on. Because even, uh, even though it's, hard these days to be in touch with truth and with reality. I think it's important to yeah. remind oneself every now and then that we got to do it, not only for this job, but for a lot of others. Observing, observing a lot. It's very important in general, not only for this, but uh, to be compassionate with oneself and not putting pressure on oneself all the time because you got to do this and you got to do that. Sometimes you got to leave yourself alone too. And that's okay. And that's a totally different conversation. But yeah, I think that's also in this world of wanting to be the first and just achieving everything and being, you know, and competitive and all that. And sometimes it's also nice to let oneself alone for a bit. I try to remind myself that every day. I don't know if it works every day, but I try, <laughs> I guess. It's like you were just talking just to me. <laughs> it was exactly the information that I need to hear. Yeah, I think that I think, goes for a lot of us. I think it's important, seriously, because we need to leave ourselves alone. Stop it. I mean, I think we're, we're already living a really tough time. So, 
And, uh, you know, if we fuck up, we fuck up. It's all right. We'll just get back up. <laughs> it's fine. I really think success is trying to keep down the pressure on what success is for each one of us. I try to repeat that to myself every day. <laughs> because sometimes also there are a lot of things you can't fight against, you know, or you can try, but I mean, it's not always going to be your way. And we keep opening social media and seeing all these successful and wonderful people around. But I mean, sometimes we just also have to give credit to our little things that we've been accomplishing for all this time. And each person has, you know, their own thing going on you know it's always good to go back to why am i doing this because a lot of times it's not why you think you're doing it uh, that's why like i remember i was in a big creative crisis and personal crisis no, it was probably four years ago and i was living in london and i i don't know i didn't really know i had i had separated from a long relationship work was not going well I decided to go to Athens in Greece to, to work with, uh, with like, as a volunteer, as, as an independent volunteer with uh, like in, in different um, refugee shelters and all that. And uh, mainly I just wanted to go and see what was going on there. Because when I got there, I realized going only for a month, I didn't have much to do, but I did ask myself, what do you have to offer to these kids or this, you know, I was mainly working with kids. And, you know, I realized we can do theater. Let's do it. And suddenly we started doing it. And suddenly I found another purpose for theater. And that's what made me connect with why I had started doing it in the first place when I was 16 back in Maine. This shot group, Students Helping Others Through Theater. That was the name. Students Helping Others Through Theater. That was it. Shot. Yeah. So that's it. That was, you know, the main reason why I started doing what I started doing it. Then the other things came. And now, well, I'm working as a professional actor as much as I can, as, as good as I can, given the circumstances. I'm not the best actor in the world. I, I mean, I, I don't know, but I'm, you know, I'm just there working. And that's already an accomplishment. Success is a different, as we think it is, is a different, totally different thing, I think. That was pretty powerful. <sighs> You were touching on a lot of what you've learned and a lot of what you've come to, uh, a lot of what makes you so great. Um, and I think that, you know, I, for one, am going to take away from that, that you got to keep going. You got to. <laughs> There's no other way. <laughs> That's right. But also, you know, taking care of oneself too, leaving your, ourselves alone for a bit. That's right. And that's kind of what I mean, but you got to keep going. Take care okay. of yourself, slow it down, realize that it's not as bad as you think it is, even when it's really bad. And it could breathe. be worse. 
and let it be, let it go. <laughs> okay, we've come to that time of the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jorge, it's that time of the show where we're going to talk about what's in your cookies this week. Uh, yes. Uh, Why don't we I start like with that. your favorite cookie? In this case, I'm quite classical. Uh, it's just a chocolate chip cookie. And the perfect cookie for me is chewy, but like crispy outside. Um, I used to be like very, very hooked to chewy chips ahoy, actually. Like, like a problem. I had a real problem. I was hooked when I was in Maine, actually. The, my poor host mother there, I, I think she, I, I don't know how many, how many boxes she bought of that red, you know that red box of chocolate chip chewy chips ahoy i would just eat them all they're disgusting like today i, I realize they're not that uh, great but back then i mean i would just eat the whole case and now um i mean i guess i have come to appreciate a better cookie but yeah that kind of like chewy thing oh, it's really enjoyable <laughs> are we and, fine yeah we're fine talk to me about about on earth we're Briefly gorgeous. Okay, I, I actually just finished On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. He's from Hartford, Connecticut, actually. Um, the name in Spanish is, is actually, it tries to be the same, but it's actually not as appealing. It's En la Tierra Somos Fugazmente Grandiosos. And the cover is so ugly. I mean, it <laughs> really is ugly. It doesn't really give justice to this beautiful, beautiful book. Seriously, it's really, really gorgeous. It's beautiful, it's poetic, but it's harsh and it's sad, but it's hopeful. Uh, I don't know, it has so much in it. He's a professor uh, in, in the Amherst College of Massachusetts. He's written for The Atlantic, for Harper's, for The Nation, New Republic, The New Yorker, The New York Times. Well, probably everybody knows him there because this book apparently is kind of like a hype now. I didn't know, somebody gave it to me for my birthday. And um, it's incredible because he just talks about him as an immigrant because he's actually Vietnamese. So he's the son of the Vietnam War, but he emigrated from Vietnam after the war to the Philippines. He was in the Philippines for a year in a concentration camp. And then he moved to Hartford, Connecticut. And the way he tries to reach for his roots while he also talks about how he discovered and experienced his homosexuality and how he lived as an immigrant, as an Asian guy in Connecticut, and also as a homosexual guy in Connecticut. It's so, so incredible. And um, I don't know, I, I think it's really worth reading. There is one passage. Okay. It's just very short, but it's, it's just... It's in these moments next to you that I envy words for doing what we can never do. How they can tell all of themselves simply by standing still, simply by being. Imagine I could lie down beside you and my whole body, every cell, radiates a clear singular meaning not so much a writer as a word pressed down beside you. So that would be one. Mm. Oh. 
What do you take away from that? Well, you know, he talks about language in a way that I've never really stopped to think about. I don't know, the, the way he talks about words, because the thing is that he, this book is a letter that he writes to his mother who did not know, who never learned really how to speak English. And she really didn't know how to read. So he's, he writes a letter to his mother knowing that she's never going to read it. So, um, I don't know the way he talks about language. There is something that, um, I mean, words say so much and sometimes they are so hard to say. <laughs> it would be so easy. I mean, we have it there. We can put it in words, but it's just, there's something a lot of times that like gets on the way and, and, well, could you draw any parallels to your own attempts to find the words when you were attempting when you were attempting to be more honest with yourself or more honest with the people in your life? Well, I mean, it, it just repeats itself over and over. Right. Um, it, sometimes it's so hard to put a feeling in words. Sometimes you just like your head gets on the way again. The head we talked about our head a lot, but yeah, it does get on the way, and you just are afraid to hurt someone. And in the end, the last thing you think about is yourself. You just think the words might, you know, just change things, change paths, change things forever, you know? And yeah, from, I mean, speaking of my coming out, of course, like when, when it, I mean, it was other times, of course, but um, for me having a family that's apparently sort of like a traditional family, but they are such an open-minded people. But it was very hard for me to, um, you know, come to take the decision of, you know, just saying, hello, uh, I, I like men. Today for me, it's so natural and so, you know, normal. But uh, it, back then, yeah, I remember it was definitely so hard to put it in words. And it was like, why? Because that's what this passage actually says. Like, I envy words because, you know, they can do whatever we can never do. They yeah. just, I don't know. It's really well put. It's a tough thing to put together in your life. One of the things that I have struggled with is my ability to face the problems that I have and to be honest with myself about them. To make them real because when you just speak them out, they're real. <laughs> I struggled mm. to fit and to find myself. And now as a result of saying, you know, I always felt like I was letting someone down. I always felt, I've always felt like yeah. I'm in a position where I won't be liked if I behave a certain way. Right. And ultimately, that's not right. That's not true. It's and it's not. probably yeah. part of the reason that, that I wasn't able to connect as an actor as, as truthfully as, as I could have, as a lot of my peers did and as a lot of my, my heroes have, you among them. I think that there's something to the rawness and the honesty that comes from 
the deepening of one's understanding of oneself. And in that, we get more, we get the ability to empathize. We get the ability to take on roles, to take on the, take on the performance of anybody. You can relate to anybody because of the work that you do. The work that you do, not, well, yeah. not just because of what you put on your tax return, that you're an actor, but because of the work that you put in as an actor to be empathic, to understand many different walks of life, to understand many different people. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you've said so many truths. <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say, whoever has had a complete, completely truthful life, please raise your hand because um, I've never met that person. I don't think I will ever meet anyone. I mean, please, I mean, we live in a really, you know, hard society where, where that is not, you know, the norm. But which brings me to a quote I actually ran into not long ago. It's from E.E. E. Cummings and it says, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight. I mean, E.E. E. Cummings was already talking about this. So I guess this is like, you know, a fight that we all have to put up with. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, there is something about my work, about our work. I guess it's any creative work that I feel that totally saves me it's just a life savior, like, because it just obliges me to connect the truth, whether I want to or not. <laughs> and uh, I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, but that's not easy. And sometimes I just want to look a different way. And uh, a lot of times I just don't get there. And in my life, it's different. I, I do go over it. So many times, just I hide from it. It's normal. It's scary. And um, it's not pleasant a lot of times. But anyway, sometimes, you know, we do great work, but sometimes we do shitty work. And yeah. Was there a time that you could speak to where you went there and it panned out or it led to something, some deepening? Yeah, many times. Anyone in particular you want to talk about? <laughs> I know you want to get into that. I don't, I'm not sure if I can. But um, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, probably. Can I ask a specific question? So I can name many times in my life where I've had to play a part, whether it's on stage or it's in reality, that goes against what I'm comfortable playing or playing against type. Yeah. And in playing against type, I dive deeper into myself and I find new ways yeah. of being myself. But I'm wondering if there are times where you're playing on type. You're playing the character that you're known to play and you still are able to find that depth, be, be it because of the content. Oh, well, it just happened with that character in Freedom, that romantic novelist in the early 19th century, in the early 1800s. I was playing a character that's basically made for me the character I guess I was supposed to play and everybody was saying so 
but in from my perspective i was playing someone so superior i was playing someone that i admired so much that knew so much about life knew to how to do so many things knew how to travel alone solve problems right paint um I, I don't know do all these things and and just like get through life surviving in such a brave way that i was only learning from him through myself it was so interesting yes so yeah it's never have it, it does not have to to be something deep and mm, troubled no no it's usually a lot of times you just discover great stuff i don't know i remember one of my first leads it, it was this series called Angel or Demon. So I was playing this like 300-year-old demon whose uh, boss was a 10-year-old girl who actually had 600 years. So this is kind of like fantasy craziness. So I was playing this bitchy motherfucker. And I don't know, he <laughs> just... Um, oh, yeah, he was a son, of, a son of a bitch. But the character just brought some this sarcasm out of me but also this joy that I never knew I had. And it just like brought it out. And uh, that led to so many other characters that I played after that because of that one. So yeah, that happens. And I do definitely hope that keeps happening because I have to tell you, even though we're talking about, you know, achieving your goals and what success and all that, I'm definitely not satisfied with what I've done so far. I think that success and satisfaction can be antonyms. They can be the opposite. I think, so that, right. I think that oftentimes I find more in learning from failure than I do yeah. in learning from success. Probably. Probably. We, should, right. we should keep going. Okay, come on. Keep okay. Going. If you were a cocktail, what kind of cocktail would you be? <laughs> well, I, I would love to say that I would be a dry martini, but I probably would be a Moscow mule. <laughs> <laughs> Either one. I'm open. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'd like to be so dry and straightforward and, um, you know, tasty and like intense, but like subtle like than a dry martini but no i think i'm more complex and dumb and crazy and you know mixed <laughs> so i have a little more ginger <laughs> in me and yes. uh, i would say know. that's true i would say that's true you're a little bit more gingerly than you are a starched shirt right that's it thank you what's the first article of clothing you reach for in the morning <laughs> Well, if I've had a, a fun night, well, my underwear, obviously, or if it's very, <laughs> or if it's very hot, like a hot Spanish summer night. But no, it's usually a kimono. I have this incredible kimono that a very good friend of mine gave me that she and her past husband bought, like I don't know, forty years ago in in Japan. It's this beautiful kimono that I just like love to get into. Uh, in Saint Laurent in, in, in Tangier in the 50s. What color uh, is it? It's a uh, 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 white and dark blue stripes. Oh, well, it's not even. It's actually not stripes. It's like, like a zigzag kind of thing. Will you send us a picture of it? <laughs> Once I'm back in Madrid, I will. Yeah, yeah I don't great. Have it here. We'll I, I, don't, I actually, that's funny because I don't travel with it. 
uh, I just have it in Madrid. You must not like it that much. Mm, well, maybe I like to be naked more much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that so that that goes to my next question. What is your battle armor? <laughs> 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 well, I mean, an armor means that you have to, to, to put something on. No, it's seriously. I don't like being naked that much, actually. Anyway, um, a, a leather jacket, like a perfecto, kind of like biker's jacket sure. that would be, you know, anything that's not summer clothes. I don't really like summer. I don't, that is, I, I like a Birkenstock or something. No flip-flops, no shorts, just like nice <laughs> Kind of like clothes, like a nice sweater, a nice hat, a nice perfecto. It's like I, the fall is the perfect time for clothing. And um, I think any fall clothes, am I making sense? <laughs> yes, you're making perfect sense. Yeah, perfect yeah but sense. yeah, if, you, if I were to choose one piece of clothing, that would be the perfecto jacket. If you were to put on a song in the background... Yeah. What would that song be? It's just like, you know, when they ask you, what's your favorite movie? Uh, what's your favorite what? It's just like, oh, so many. And I never know what to answer. This is something we need to get to because everyone, I, I am a big believer in everyone just determining the answer to these questions just I to know. have. And you then know. you can have a larger discussion around why the, these 13 others. Or, You're so you know, right. You're so right. So, and and so, let me tell you something before I answer to this question. Going back to our teacher in the neighborhood playhouse, <laughs> there was this thing he, because it's funny because when we got out of school, we always complained about the fact that they never taught us any lessons on business and acting as a business. <laughs> and then thinking about it, he actually did every now and then because he gave us a list of things to do for the future to, and also for us as actors to, you know to have clear like things that we liked or disliked or whatever and one of those was put on a list write down a list of your favorite movies your favorite blah 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 and I've had that with me for so many years I was like I have to do this I gotta do this and I never know I'm, I'm just like i guess i just improvise or i just like talk about yeah today what's today but then i always regret having not having said this or that and i keep getting back into this but okay answering your questions right now according to my spotify these days i cannot get enough of stevie wonder's loves in need of love today which Actually, it's a beautiful song, and um, but it seems like I, I have funny enough. I've sort of like gotten back to it like a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "Oh my god, this song!" And it's so today. <laughs> it was just like, "Oh yeah." So now this one goes on the list forever. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk about songs in the key of life. Songs oh, in the yeah. key of life. Yeah. Sorry. So Stevie Wonder yeah. loves in need of love today is track one side a of songs in the key of life yeah arguably my favorite stevie wonder album it is the album that i will put on first when we have people over for company yeah. when we have dinner as a family it is my favorite album to listen to from beginning to well, end it always makes me think and of you actually why is that? Well, because you always put a lot of Stevie Wonder, a lot of Elton John, <laughs> a lot of 
um i don't know we we listened to a lot of uh soul and r&b yeah. when we were uh back in new york those days i i feel very proud to have put so much soul yeah. into your life <laughs> oh you definitely have not only in music actually <laughs> well yeah. the thing about that album is that song was so important at the time hates going round, breaking many hearts stop it please before it's bound to start and i found it a, a few months ago as this whole pandemic was starting and it mm. became an anthem for our house and th that second verse especially means so much just mm -hmm. talking through what we're all going through um so it, it makes me very happy to hear that it's it's jumped the yeah. pond and that it's found I, its way i'm loving this coincidence yeah 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 it's interesting but it's good it's good to go back to the classics right in general though uh because they were already talking about what's going on today and that's sort of peaceful in a way to see that yeah we're living crazy times and it's really nuts these days but it seems that's not that, that's not new that already people prior to us have lived hard times and have been shouting out for same things we want to shout out today actually i was listening to the radio today and um, this writer that I love, this Spanish writer, she's called Elvira Lindo, Elvira Lindo. She was giving people, you know, tips on what to read. People would ask, okay, I want to read this for this, or what do you recommend? So somebody asked for, what should I read for, you know, what's going on today? Like a climate change and this pandemic and blah, blah. So she said, you know what? you should read Chekhov. I was like, so surprised that she was like, yeah, go to Uncle Vania. There's someone there already talking about nature. There's someone already there. Like, it's so interesting because even like, back in the Russians, like, then Chekhov was already talking about this. It's just people talking about, you know, what they feel, what they, aim, I mean, what, what, they, what they want, what they desire, what they can't have. And in the end, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, that's why, you know, us as actors or writers or whatnot, we, you know, talk about the basics of humanity. In the end, it's just the same thing with, uh, you know, different, you know, right now we have Trumps or Bolsonaros or mm, Putins or whatnot, but back then we had others that felt as powerful and so many people listened to them. And I guess, I don't know history does repeat itself i think it does <laughs> even though we think this is worse than ever but i don't know i try to have hope seeing that those people that were screaming for love and you know understanding did get through it or at least their sons and daughters did so hopefully that'll happen it's again a, it's important to remember that this is not the first time that that mm. these battles have been fought. And it's important to remember yeah. that these battles will be fought again. Yep, I guess so, yeah. To take it back to the soul songs, mm. it's the same old song, but with a different meaning since you've been gone. And I think that that's true, that yeah. different players can take on the same parts 
in the same old songs, in the same old stories. Many people will be doing Hamlet today, yesterday, and tomorrow. That's right. Different interpretations, but same script. (laughs) There's the rub. (laughs) Yeah. But going back to the songs, um, if I may. You may. Why I was saying, it, it just changes. And sometimes you just like burn out a song. But there is certain songs that like accompany through all your life accompany you through all your life and there's this one that i've thought of it's called lisboa lisbon by this trio that i think was or is because i don't know if they still exist but they will call trio obscure and that saxophone in that song just blows my mind blows my heart it has for so many years so that would be that song probably and you know who showed me that song, Arnold Tarabarelli, the man who helped me out with my castings for New York. I probably gave you this song when we were living in New York, but it just, I mean, that saxophone just like brings me to so many places. I love it. I, I definitely, yeah, I would choose that one as one of my lifetime songs. It just means a lot. <laughs> What do you hear in that song? I travel with the sax. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so powerful, but so soft at the same time, so subtle. I, I always include it in my playlists. It's come with me when I've had my heart broken, when I've been happy, when I've, it just like fits all the time. I never get tired of it. It always comes back to me. And it's not that common to find it. I don't know. It's just, it's special to me. <laughs> yeah. I, um, there was a time though, also where True Obscure made its way into a lot of dinners. <clears throat> it became yeah. like a, it became like a band that we would yeah. just, we would just lean yeah. on for like right. mood. And Definitely. there's something, there's something about soothing too, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And I, I, I'd forgotten about it until you mentioned it. Really? Yeah. It just puts you into place. It's so, it's just so, so concrete. See, so specific. It's a very so, specific song. So Trio yeah. Obscure is a, is a definite recommendation. That's a must. When you find it on somewhere, what movies do you absolutely have to finish? The, the one that always comes to mind it was The Goonies. I mean, it's just like my childhood right there. What did you relate to as a Spanish boy growing up in well, Madrid? Well, I don't know. It was just like uh, the adventure, the uh, teenage kind of like, you know, even the kisses, you know, on, on the mud or the pirate ship. It's just like it marked me at a very early age. Uh, but also like early Almodovar's movies. But it, you know what? Like, yeah, obviously Women on the Verge or What Have I Done to Deserve This or Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Like movies that really marked me or Martina. Can we talk about Almodovar? So, so. Oh, please. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to see the short film he's just done with Tilda Swinton. Yeah. I yeah, can't wait to see what's going on with that. I saw yeah. them. I saw them with their masks on at the film. Yeah, 
Oh yeah, she's the um, best. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the the pink pony. Oh. Do you have time to talk about that for a little bit? Yes. So yes, definitely. Can you explain what the Pink Pony was? The Pink Pony belonged to this man called Lucien. He has a restaurant, still has a restaurant in the East Village, which is named Lucien, it's a bistro. But then they had this, I mean they, because it was him and Phyllis, his wife, they had this great spot on Ludlow Street um with the best jukebox <laughs> ever and you could go there for a great brunch you could go there for lunch you could go there to have just a glass of wine you could go for dinner but um he i mean lucien had been around uh, 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 or at least he said so and i think he did uh he was just there since studio 54 and he would know everybody it was like from this you know, Warhol times in New York and everybody would go there, all kinds of writers, artists and everything. When I was in New York, when I got there, I had some savings and had some help from my parents, but I didn't really have that much money and I needed a little bit of support. So I was just going around, you know, looking for a place where they would accept a, um, you know, a student, an immigrant, from Europe who wanted to work but couldn't because of the visa because I only had a student visa and that did not let me work. Uh, you know what, I actually, I, I, I really liked being a waiter, especially there because you could just sit down with the customers and just be laid back and just be yourself and just enjoy with them. It was just like this vibe. There was this something about this place that was so... <laughs> What was was the Jorge order? If you were to sit down and order a meal at Pink Pony, what would it have been? I don't really remember anything but the pancakes on on the brunch. That says a lot because you were there. I I remember it being like seven days a week. (laughs) Yeah, it was all my first year of school, I think. Or even first and second because then – I did get a, a work permit and then I ended up working at Soho House and all that. But, uh, but yeah, I was there for a long time. If not, I was going out and I, I never the, slept in New York. But can I talk about salmon. what you introduced me to? Please. Okay. So there were, there were a number I, mean, I remember of, the wine and the glasses of wine. That's all I remember. But of course, please. the short stemmed glass that yeah, you yeah. actually <laughs> drank out of with me 13 years later later in Los Angeles because I had stolen two glasses <laughs> from Phyllis and Lucien and if I, I I've tried to make it up over time by over tipping I recently parted ways with them after moving you were the last person to drink out of those glasses with me um I felt like that was poetic in some way so you, introdu- you introduced me to Malbec I had never had a yeah. glass of Malbec before that, and it was always on. Me special. neither. Me neither. I only knew Rioja Rivera or, or yeah. French wines, probably. And you would always pepper the table with a flourless chocolate cake with right. a uh, a like a two ounce scoop of either cinnamon or vanilla ice cream. Mm-hmm. And. It was my birthday dinner. It was my first date ah, dinner. Yeah. It was, it still is the thing that when mm-hmm. I go back to New York and I'm at, I find myself at first and first, 
I have to have a glass of Malbec. I have to have a, a slice of Lucien's famous flourless chocolate See, cake. That's so crazy. Now, now I'm, I'm like remembering that I had totally forgotten. If I have to think of a cake that we had in New York, I always think of the apple pie a la mode that we have at this diner by school, you know? <laughs> It's so sad that it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, not the cake, the pink pony, actually, because I well, so the, the other thing to go that, back there. The other thing that was like wild about the pink pony was it felt like it was put together with popsicle sticks. Absolutely. They had this like <laughs> barn door at the back that was arched, painted blue. And beyond that was this library with like a p church yeah. pew around oh, like the perimeter. a duvet and yeah, yeah yeah it was so crazy it seemed they might like have had a futon in there at one like point russia 1917 but then you'd see debbie harry there or you'd see and it was yeah then we, it was you always jim jarmish jim jarmish was always there always there and it was right by this place called the max fish max fish next door you would see like scarlett johansson there all the time or yeah, and that's all gone. That's all, all so gone. gone. I, what I remember about that time and in that space was that there was, it was our uh, La Panagile. It was our Montmartre. Oh, yeah, and, do you remember like the times I had to, I had late shift. We would just like sometimes like close the, um, what do you call it? The gate. The gate, thank you. And put the jukebox and dance in there. Oh, and it had a free jukebox. Oh. It has a free jukebox. So there was um, uh, there was something to the pony What's though that. The, what's your best memory of the pony? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. There's um. Because you kept going there. Oh yeah, long after you left, I would still go back every time I was in New York. I would bring friends. I would meet up with people that had never been there that were life lifers in New York and. Yeah. And they, every time that I was there, the, so the thing that I loved about the Pony, and I think that so many other restaurants miss and don't know how to capture, is how small it was and how intimate was it? it was. Was it? Yeah. The kitchen it was had like, It had like two rooms, right? Right. It had two rooms. It was, it was deep. It was like a yeah. railroad style apartment where you right. yes. had the bathroom in the middle and it had that yeah. dividing wall that they would close. And there was like a private area that on right. nights when they really needed to like pull in the dollars, they would open yeah. up that back area or they would have private parties. Um, but the kitchen was like six yeah, feet. It was so small. Yeah. yeah I don't it was know a little tile it. wall, yeah. you know, at a 90 degree angle that the kitchen would, everything would come out of that kitchen. They'd give you a half a loaf of a baguette and a bunch of yep. tinfoil wrapped butter. Oh, and a lot of butter, yeah, 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 that's right. And the lighting was impeccable. The lighting impeccable. in that place. Absolutely right. And that weird mirror in the men's, in the bathroom. I think they had one water closet and the, the mirror, if you looked at it, it was a box and it was actually your actual visage, not your reflection. Oh, that's right, that's right. But oh, it was like- fuck, you rem your memory is impeccable. <laughs> and now I just remembered too, that they had a lot of photos from like people in the, 50, in the 70s uh, with Lucian and people from, from in- From throughout, yeah. Well, throughout in general, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanna know a good anecdote though? It was funny because they would always put me in charge of the European customers' tables because they wanted me to explain what 
tipping was in the US. <laughs> and sometimes they made me run after them when they were on the street, like, dude, you didn't leave a tip. I watched you like, do that. I will link to a, an oral history of Lucien that appeared in Vice magazine okay. here in the States. Uh, when, I, when I post this to the blog, the, um, the, thing, about, the thing about them was they were really generous in a, in a way that few others were, and they were also mm. really hard. You know, like <laughs> ultimately, like there was, an, there was an old New York and I was always very- And it was fond. real. It was real. It yeah. was very real. And those people, yeah. those people were, were really fascinating to me. Somebody that, um, that you knew that, was, that I see as old New York was Vicky Usle. Mm-hmm. And Vicky grew up in New York in a Soho loft. She also grew up part of her time in Brooklyn. It was like in old Williamsburg. Old Williamsburg. That's what it was. Yeah, back in the nineties. Yeah, she she but part in in the north of Spain in in Cantabria and part in in Williamsburg. <laughs> and then when because her parents are they they are all, and she is they are all artists. Her father, Juan Usle, her mother, Victoria Civera, and her Vicky Usle, great artists that, you know, her parents went to New York in the 80s to just, you know, find luck and they found it and they are actually great and they got very successful. And that's when they moved to that loft in Soho. Yeah. Um, so right. she's always in between. Um, she's and the one they... who actually lent me the Chinatown studio. Thanks to her, I had a place to. <laughs> when, when I got to New York. Great people, yeah. Let's go on to what do you do to, to deal with the pressures of success? Hmm. That I'm trying to figure out still today. There's something about like, I think we've talked about compassion and I think that's a very important word and trying to really look back and see what we've already achieved. And a lot of times we're going to be surprised because we tend to be very negative and put down a lot of our accomplishments because we already take them for granted because they are already there. And suddenly it's like, hold on, just look back and see what you've already done. And I've done a lot of things that are, you know, deserve to be called successful it has a lot to do with your with the way you deal with your ego too right i'm okay with putting myself out there fully under with with the full knowledge that not everything's going to track with everybody and certain things are and that's okay too and it's it's all about just being truthful to the moment Something that I think yeah. we can both relate to that like yeah. just whatever the moment brings to me, I'm going to deal with, with my set of tools that I bring from my past to that moment. Yeah. And sometimes I'm going to be able to deal with that moment much more effectively than at other times. Yeah. Everybody says this, but it's true. We only live once <laughs> as far as we know, but it's going to be over at some point. So let's just might as well enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. That's the thing. And that I can say 
I have done <laughs> and I'm doing. <laughs> and at least that's a success. In the end, also, oh, fuck what people think. Seriously. Oh. Fuck what people think. I try to remind myself that over and over. And I've, you know, achieved a lot of improvements in that um, matter. But, you know, still, especially when you do something that's public or a lot of people are going to see, I mean, you're exposed. And But anyway, you know, there's always going to be someone who's, you know, achieved better things, but also in different, I mean, I don't know. It's not all about work either. Success is in every success or failure, they are in every aspect of our lives. And we are very complex and more, com like work is just one little thing of who we are. And we have to remember that. We have to take care of so many other things too, family, partners, if we have them, lovers, uh, kids, if we have them, um, pets, uh, other people and be empathetic. It's just, it just, uh, it and there's too much and there's no time for it so might as well just like do whatever we can under the circumstances thank you mr pinter <laughs> no <laughs> yes absolutely uh, i think that's exactly myself. right basically take life as it comes and do with it the best you can make the best of it and realize that you only live once. Yep, apparently so. Yeah. Well, Jorge, ashes. I could talk to you all day, all night, all year for Me the too. rest it's of my life. Two, it's already 1 a.m. here in Spain. It's 1 a.m. in Spain. <laughs> We're having this long, wonderful conversation. And I think that we got to a lot of wonderful things here in this yeah. conversation. And I'm super grateful yeah. that I get to call you one of my closest friends mm -hmm. that we Me get too. to have this level of honesty and openness and conversation that we will hopefully have the rest of our lives. I can't thank you enough for coming on my show. I can't Love thank you. you enough for having me. Me too. Let me, can I just say one last thing? Of course. Apparently, I mean, apart from, that I love you and you know, you're a wonderful person. Thank you for including me in your life. But you asked me an interesting question that I've always sort of like run away from, which is what is my motto? <laughs> and I wanted to answer to this question because I would always say live and let live. And, you know, there's these kind of like, but suddenly the other day reading Ocean Wong's book, I came across this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sentence. It has so much to do with what we've been talking about. And it says, so much joy is made worse by trying to make joy stay. I think that's quite uh, huge. And I think that's <laughs> my closing line. <laughs> I think we should leave it at that. Yeah. Thank you, Max, and have a beautiful day, and be safe. Be safe, everyone out there listening to this, uh, to <laughs> friends just uh, rambling on and on. <laughs> Take care. The, the, the truest ramblings are ramblings between two friends. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, Jorge. Thank you. I love you, man. Have a great one.
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with my close friend, actor Jorge Suquet. You can and should follow along with his journey on Instagram at Jorge Suquet. That's at J-O-R-G-E-S-U-Q-U-E-T. Keep look out for the premiere of Freedom on Spain's Movie Star and hopefully soon on Netflix internationally, as well as The Hunt on Spain's national TV. Tune in next week when my guest will be architect, designer, ethnographer, inventor in training, my nine-year-old stepdaughter. As we encourage our kids every day in this house, keep working hard to know first who you are so that you can better adorn yourself in ways you want to, you and you alone. This is the No First Podcast. The No First Podcast is a production of All Plat Out. Our theme song is That's Right by Pop Villains. Thanks to Marla, Stella, and Ruby. Stay safe, stay healthy, and know first who you are. Películas. <laughs> Peligulas. <laughs> Thank you, Jorge. I love you. Besos.